you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Genesis chapter 35 and verse number 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau. Jacob 
was said unto his household and to all that were with him. Put away the strange gods. Notice little g there. Put away the strange gods, the idols that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in the high, in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, he built there an altar and called the place Because there, God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Bethel was an important city in the Old Testament times. It was an ancient city in Palestine, Palestine, located about 15 miles north of Jerusalem, an area today that we know of as the West Bank. Originally, the city was called Luz, but God spoke to Jacob and told him to go to that area, and he called it Bethel, which means, by interpretation, the house of God. And Abraham built an altar there, and he had Jacob built an altar there and had an experience with God there. And he called the place El Bethel. Our Elohim of the house of God. Or to put it in English vernacular that you and I can understand The Lord said, go to the house of God. And when he got there, he built an altar. And he built the altar. He changed. He no longer called the place the house of God. But he called it the God of the house of God. By the help of the Lord today, I want to talk to you from this passage and extrapolate out of this scripture some things that God would speak to this church in this season I'm going to use as a subject title today the journey from Bethel to El Bethel Father we need your help this morning the task that you have laid upon my shoulders and set before me today is greater than my ability but I trust in you and I stand firmly upon your word today that you have spoken to me. 
And I come today to deliver your word to people today that need to hear your word. And I pray now against all spirits that would rebel against the things of God or the spirit of God or the word of God, but that our hearts, our hard hearts may be open and broken open by your word, that we may receive what you are wanting to speak and let it be applied into our lives and let us do what you would have us to do and be what you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. You can be seated this morning. Thank you again. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to be talking a lot about the altar over the next few days. We have an altar project coming, my wife mentioned in announcements today. So we're going to be talking about it. I thought it was fitting this morning to begin by talking about the altar that Jacob built in Bethel and calling it not just the house of God, but the God, the house of God. I, I love this church. I love CLC. Um, I was married here. My children were dedicated here. Kids were all baptized here, received the Holy Ghost here. It's a good place to attend. CLC is my church. And it is the house of God. It is a building that about maybe 70% or so of the construction of this building was done by the hands of the good men of this church and ladies that worked tirelessly for a space of better than three years. A project that many have given to and are still giving to because we continue to pay for this building. No small feat, but God has blessed us. And I'm thankful for the place that we have to worship. I'm thankful for this Bethel. I'm thankful for this house of God. But I want to say to you this morning that we have to be careful not to get so caught up with Bethel, the house of God, that we forget about El Bethel, the God of the house. Because everything that happens in the house of God is about the God of the house of God. Because without God, there's no purpose for the house. Now, I want to remind you of something in the onset of this message. There are four climates that we all must see about in a local assembly in the church. Four climates for a healthy church that we must always be paying close attention to lest we would fall short and the church become unhealthy in what we are doing. There is a spiritual climate to the church. It involves everything spiritual. And that spiritual climate sets the spiritual tone for what the church is and what the church does and how the church reaches its community. Then there is a physical climate 
to the church and involves buildings and locations. It involves construction projects and upkeep and there's a whole climate to this wonderful 14 acres that God has given us and the buildings that he's blessed us with. We, we don't take it lightly. And then there is the social climate of the church and this is another aspect of a healthy church that we must be very cautious and careful to maintain and uh, properly handle the social aspect of the church. It is the church is a unique, unique thing that is designed by God in the the social climate of the church. It involves relationships and connections. None, none of these. Stand alone. They all are intertwined. The, the fourth and final climate of, the, of a healthy church is the financial climate of a church. And so we must be able to, to pay, the, pay the mortgage payment and keep the lights on and have the finances to do ministry and uh, do all the things that God has called us to do. And so this involves the financial well-being of the church. Whether we are speaking of the spiritual climate, the physical climate, the social, or the economic climate of the church, we, we must understand that if any one of those gets out of balance, it throws everything out of balance. And so uh, we, we're constantly working, understanding that the future of the church is at stake. And so the work of ministry for every one of us, whether you have been here for four days, four months, four years, or 40 years or longer, for all of us, we must always be concerned about the climate of the church. Where is the church? What is happening in these in, in these areas, where is the balance in these areas? And if we focus too much in one, we get out of balance in another. And so there is always the, the juggling of, of the four climates to establish and maintain and further the ministry of a healthy church. But understand that all four of these climates have a biblical foundation. And I don't have time to, to teach a lesson on all this this morning, but I, I'm laying a groundwork for what I want to talk to you about today. These four climates are all connected, and they're all connected by God and His church. And in all four of these climates, as we reflect and think in the onset of this message, the point and purpose of the message that I am preaching to you today is that we pay attention to the fact that there is a God factor involved in every aspect of his church. Because if we miss God in any of those four climates, we have misappropriated the work of ministry that God has for the 21st century church. It has become very obvious even 
to the untrained eye that the greatest struggle in the church is dealing with our flesh. My flesh is my greatest battle. It's always been the case. This is nothing new. That's because the Bible talks about um, flesh in a very practical and an undesirable way. The Bible speaks of it as circumcision of the flesh. Because the greatest battle you will ever fight will not be with your neighbor. But the greatest battle that you will fight will be with your flesh. And the greatest battle of the flesh is usually not that of some other physical aspect of our being, but our greatest battle is usually between our ears. Abraham, go to the house of God and build an altar there. Jacob, go to the house of God and build an altar there. But what you call that altar will reveal the effects of your altar. Jacob, if you don't die on that altar, you will call the altar the place of offense. If you don't die to the flesh on that altar, you will call the altar a place of frustration. If you don't die to the flesh on that altar, you will call that altar a place of isolation and loneliness. You'll start calling Bethel by things that Bethel never was intended to be if you don't die on the altar. Because if the flesh doesn't die on the altar, you will never find the God of the house of God. Your prayers will be connected to the desires of the flesh. Your will will overpower what God is wanting to do in your personal life if we don't die on the altar. God has a way of developing people for what He wants to do and the work that He has. And in the process, the tone of our attitude toward the house of God will reveal what transpires inside our heart. If your relationship is what goes on in the house that affects your flesh, you will serve God with frustration. But if your relationship is with the God of the house of God, he will be all that we need in order to live in joy and peace and fulfillment and unity. The greatest battle in the church is to get all of us at one time to put ourselves on the altar. I'll speak to this season of consecration that we are moving into and have moved into and will be in over the next few weeks. 
what I have seen throughout the last 18 years of being here in about 15 or so years of this consecration season is that the vast majority of us put our flesh on the altar for the first 40 days and it is unrecognizable what God does in the church during that space of time because the flesh dies so that we can end up finding the God of the house of God. I don't know if I'm making sense this morning, but when we die to our will and our thoughts and our desires and we put ourselves on the altar then and only then will we begin to exalt and lift up Jesus. Only then will we begin to exalt him and magnify him. At that point when we recognize the God that is involved in the house of God, some of the petty issues that happen in and around the church will seem awfully small because they only affect this flesh which we crucify on the on, on the altar altar so that El Bethel will live and reign and rule. But we must understand that God will position us at specific times to enter into situations that we have never seen before. He will focus us, force us to focus on situations that will test us and test our spirit and try our hearts to see our motives and see what our motives are. He will put us in situations where we are required to trust others or we have to trust God himself to accomplish what he has chosen for us to do. David, he slew a lion and he slew a bear while watching sheep. But God was only preparing him for a much greater enemy that he would soon have to face. His name was Goliath. But then after Goliath, it was the Amaleks. And eventually it was Saul. The battle never ends. When our target becomes flesh, we will get stuck there in a battle. Instead of understanding that any time that our frustration is connected to flesh, we will never move on to the next test. I believe David's destiny would have been delayed on the hillside tending sheep if his attitude about the task that he was given would have been wrong. But he had to tend sheep with joy instead of writing songs about everything that was wrong on the hillside. I don't know, it sounds like a country song to me. I don't know, if I could play a guitar... Brother Gentry, maybe I need you to get the guitar and get up here by me and give me a tune. And we'd try to write a, a country song that would sound like something David could have written on the hillside. These old sheep, they aren't even mine. Out here on the hillside all the time. Hey, it's working. Well, y'all help me. I, 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 that's not in my notes. I'm just up here. So we may go to Nashville with it. These old sheep were smelly. You hear the wolves howling at night. 
out here getting bruised up on the rocks. Losing our minds. I don't know, we could just keep on writing. David could have written some sad songs about the briars and the thistles and the grass that's not growing or the rain that's not coming. He could have found the negative aspects of the hillside and of tending sheep if his attitude about his task would have been wrong. He would have been stuck on the hillside for a very, very long time. But David's waiting and all that he dealt with as a shepherd on a hillside was a test for what was coming next. Come on, somebody. You have to pass the test of now before you can get to the test of tomorrow. Because until you pass the test of now, you're just dreaming about what tomorrow is. But if you have a bad attitude in the test of now, you're never going to be elevated to face the test of tomorrow. You've got to pass the test of now. And the test of now is about how are we handling what God has put in our victory over Goliath was only setting the stage for the next thing. You got to understand that. If you can't get along with people that you work with now, you're never going to get a promotion on your job in your future. You got to learn to get along with the people you work with now. If you're always frustrated and nobody likes you. Listen, Jesus grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God, with God, with God, with God and man. His victory over lions, over wolves and bears. Lions and tigers, I don't know. I, I didn't sleep last night, so my brain's not exactly firing the way it needs to right now. It was never about the skill to kill a lion or a bear. God was preparing David to become the great king of Israel. Don't forget David was anointed as a lad. And he could have written some sad songs and got a bad attitude because I remember when I was a lad and I was the chosen one and I was anointed. Yes, he was, but he had to endure a hillside and sheep and, 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 and wolves and bears. And he had, to, he had to endure a Goliath and he had to endure uh, the Amalekites and he had to endure a Saul. Before he got to a throne. God help us. We want a shortcut to the glory. We want a shortcut. 
to the glory, but we'll never get there. David was a shepherd boy. He watched sheep, protected sheep, fed sheep, worked in fields, had no upbringing or training for the palace. He was not a king's kid. He didn't know how to act in the palace. After David killed Goliath, he was brought to Saul's house. Saul wouldn't allow David to leave. He was to stay there. But in order for David to transition from the dusty culture of the pasture to the luxurious life of the palace meant that David would need to make a transition in his thinking and in his lifestyle. Because David had to transition in his thinking and lifestyle from a shepherd hillside sheep tending mentality to the royal king that he was going to become. And in order to do this, David would need some help. So God put David and Jonathan together. Aren't you glad for divine connections? When God puts us together with people that help us grow and develop and be what God ought to have us to be. I, I don't want to be around somebody that pulls me down. I want to be around somebody that makes me better. I want to be about. I want to be around somebody that calls me to. You know what? If uh, I'm going to meddle just a little bit, we get real comfortable with people that we're a little ahead of in life, and we've done more than them, accomplished more than them, feel like we're a little little ahead of them. We're economically ahead of them, educationally ahead of them. Every, and oh boy, we love that because then we can just shine and be somebody. I want to be around somebody that I look up to and I have to say, I got to aspire to be a little better. They got to make me reach a little higher. I got to do a little better. I got to clean up my act. I got to be a little more. Come on, we can't be satisfied with a dusty shepherd mentality if God has destined you to, to come off the field of, of a shepherd's field and get into a palace, but he will link you with some people that will develop you and grow you, and, and it'll be the iron that sharpeneth the iron to make you better, and you'll have to endure some hardness that the apostles Apostle Paul talked about. There's some things that aren't going to go the way you think they ought to go because they go against your shepherd mentality and it's trying to train you for what God is wanting to do in your future. But you've got to endure the hardness. So God put David and Jonathan together. One writer said that God knit them together or wove them together. I love that context of God knitting them together or intertwined their lives so that they could help each other. Jonathan was placed by God into David's life to teach and instruct him in the ways of the palace. Jonathan was strategically placed in David's life by God for the purpose of David transitioning from a shepherd's field to the king's palace that he was anointed 
to serve him. That's the way God works. He puts people and he puts situations in our lives to grow us and to develop us. And it's seasonal. You have to pass the test of this season before we go to the next step. And until we pass this test, we're hungry. If you ever feel like I'm stuck, it's because you're not passing the test. Well, that went over like. You ever feel like I'm just stuck somewhere? It's because you need to look around and say, what's the test here? What's God trying to show me here? What, what, who's God put in my life right now? See, some people God puts in our life and we love them because they affirm us and they brag on us and they build us up and they make us feel good about who we are. And then sometimes God puts some character builders in our life. My wife reminds me sometimes about some people are put in our life to exalt us and to make us feel good, but some people are put in our life as a character builder. It's the, They rubbed me the wrong way and I have to stop and say, God, you have put them in my life to do that because you're trying to cut off something of this flesh that is not the way you want it to be because you have a design for my God have mercy if you'll get a hold of it there's some of you that God has spoken a future to you that is greater than anything you've ever lived in but you've got to let him cut some things off of you you've got to get on the potter's wheel you've got to say yes to the work of circumcision on your flesh so he can take you to the next place oh what's all this consecration 40 days of consecration. Oh, oh, I hate it. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, I don't like fasting. Oh, I don't like prayer. Oh, I don't like this. And God is saying, I'm working some things out of you. I'm trying to take you to the next plateau. I'm trying to take you to the next green pasture. I'm trying to take you to the next place of growth because I have designed you for a power but you're living on the field with the sheep. Saul became jealous of the notoriety and success of David. And so he attacked David. And David spent the next several years running from attacks. Well, I'll tell you what you need to say. Tell David. When he had a sword in his hand and could have ended the life of Saul, he said, I don't, I'm not touching the guy's anointing. What do you mean? David was the anointed one. But it wasn't his season. David had to trust and rely on God. He refused to respond to the attacks of Saul. He was attacked both verbally and physically, but God eventually elevates him to the kingship that he had anointed him for. But that did not happen until David passed all the tests on the journey. God calls us to a destiny that he wants to lead us to, but we never go there alone. The loneliness of the wilderness causes us to feel that we're alone, but we may be surrounded by another million of the 
children of Israel who are all wandering just like you and I. It is not our destination. It's just a test to prepare us for the next level. Don't be confused. God's testing isn't a sign of his disapproval in your life. Instead, God is proving us for the next level that he's taken us to. But he's got to prove us in the test. We have some teachers here. You know what proving is about. That's what testing is about. Why do they test? A test is not only for the student. The test sometimes is for the teacher. Because if none of the students can pass the test, evidently the teacher didn't do his job. If everybody fails the test, the teacher needs to try needs to look back on his practices. Uh-huh. We're, we're not alone in this thing. This testing is for everybody. There's nights I lay my head on my pillow. Cry my pillow wet with tears. And my wife reaches over and lays hands on me to pray over me. Because I'm in a test. I don't like it. I don't want to go through those tests. I don't like those seasons. I don't like them any more than you do. But I'm not going to start writing a country song today. I entered into the house of the Lord to understand that there's a destination that he's taking me and this church to. And if I have to endure some things to pass the test so I can lead the church to the next place, come on somebody, get on board with us. We're on a journey to where God is wanting to take the church. We've got to make up in our mind there's going to be some obstacles. It's going to cut. It's going to hurt. It's a, How are we going to handle it? What attitude are we going to have about what we are doing? Jacob, go out to Bethel. There's nobody there. Uh, Go to a lonely place. And when you get to a lonely place, the best, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. My God have mercy. When you're in a lonely place, the best thing you can do is build yourself an altar. There's another man in the scripture that was lonely and depressed and he went and hid under a tree and he wished that they would come and kill him and he wished for death and and, and there he hung his harp and lost his praise. But let me tell you, there's a difference when you go to a lonely place and you say, I'm looking for something. I gotta build myself an altar. I don't know what I, I gotta find whatever. I don't have anything here. This wasn't pre-planned. This wasn't prepared. I'm out here, but I'm in the house of God. And since I'm here, I'm going to build myself an altar. You won't help me build it because I'm by myself. I'll build it alone. I'll build my altar. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Give God praise right now. The 
eventually every one of us will be given the opportunity to move from our wilderness wandering into the promised land. And I do believe the church is at that crossroads today. And this is why that the enemy is fighting some of us so very hard. He is messing with our mind. Some of us may be too easily offended at this level to go to the next level. I know it sounds real cliche, but let me just say this. We all want to go to the next level, but the next level means greater devils. Next level, greater devils. Every time. What you fight here, once you pass this test and move to the next one, get ready. The next one's going to be greater. Mm-hmm. I just celebrated birthday number 55. I was born with my dad pastor and grew up under a church pew, and this is all that I have ever known. And I keep waiting to get to that place where I don't have to fight anymore, but I have learned all the way through my 55 years that as soon as I pass one test, the next test is coming. But as long as I know I am in the will of God, as long as I know God has never left me, he's never walked away from me. I've walked away from him, but he's never walked away from me. I've gone and written some sad songs and felt sorry for myself a few times but it's never gotten me anywhere but every time I get in a lonely place and build an altar and an altar in Bethel I come out looking around giving the praise to the God of the house it's no longer just Bethel now it's El Bethel because I see the God that is involved in everything Sometimes God puts us through tests to develop our spirit. And every time something happens to me, I start writing songs, a sad one, murmuring and complaining, finding somebody to whisper to. Be careful. You're going to force God to put you right back at the beginning of that test all over again. I want somebody to hear this today. God has established a journey for this church. Some of you grabbed a hold of that book, that little booklet that we handed out that my wife and Sister Cheryl, Sister Chelsea worked on, put together for you. It's a 40-day prayer consecration journey. You got a hold of it. You started working on it. I've been getting text messages and calls and people talking about, my Lord, Pastor, this is transforming my life. This is helping me. This is, this is moving me forward. And some are saying, ah, I think I've passed. Listen, if you're not careful, you're going to get past it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've, been, we've been here far too long. Uh-huh. I, see, I, see, I see Moses. Uh, I, I, see him, I see him in the wilderness, and I see the people of God murmuring and complaining, and, 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 I, and I, see, I, I see the people being a little weary with where they are around the mountain and 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 I see I, I see Moses talking to God and coming back and talking to the people and I see them around and till the day that that the man of God comes and looks at the people and he he says to the people listen we have 
surrounded this mountain long enough. We have been here long enough. We can't stay here any longer. There is a destination that God wants to take us to. And 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 and, and everybody that's on board needs to follow along. And I there, there was some that said, Yes, sir, Pastor, this is where we're going. This is the journey we're going on. And they said, Where, where has the Lord, where has the Lord said that we're going? And all the men of God could tell them the all the Lord said to me is that we're going to a place that He said. Oh, no, 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 no. I need more information. I need you to tell me. I need GPS coordinates. I need to know exactly where we are going. And all he could tell them was that we're going to a place that the Lord said. There were some that got on board, but there were some that started complaining. There were some who said, I'm not going until I have more information. There were some who said, I'm not going until I understand what the destination is going to look like. There were some who said, I'm not going to follow just because you spoke. There were some who said, I think we're better off staying here. Come on, children. We've been around this mountain of familiarity long enough. I think we're just going to go ahead and get on board. And then there were others who said, no, it's comfortable here. I believe I'll just stay right here where I am. But the man of God comes back and he said, listen, in the morning, we're going to be leaving, and you don't have to go with us. But if you don't go with us, there is something that you've got to understand. And that is when we go from this mountain, the fire is going from the mountain with us. And there is something else you've got to know. When we depart from this mountain, there is going to be the cloud that's been coming you, the cloud is going with us. Come on, somebody. God says, I'm going to take this church somewhere. I'm going to take this church somewhere, but it's going to require you to get on board with the journey. Stop resisting what God is speaking into your life and start declaring, I'm going where God said. He sent me to Bethel. I'm going to build an altar until I'm meet with the God of the altar. It's not just about consecration. It's not just about a season. It's about the God of this season. Stand with me across the room. God's taken us somewhere. Cloud's going with us, the fire's going with us, and the rock's going with us. You can try to stay here if you want. Every man, woman, boy, or girl that stayed behind were found face down, dead in the wilderness. And they never saw the promised land. The journey that God has taken us on 
is for us to move, move away from just showing up on Sunday morning. I punched the time clock on Sunday morning. I'm here. I served about my ministry. I opened doors. I greeted. I ushered. I praised, sing. I played a musical instrument. I taught a class. I cleaned the church. I mowed the lawn. I did my, my part. I paid my tithe. I did my part at Bethel. I'm so excited about this season we're going into. It happens every year, 40 days, but then, then the rest, I'll go back to being who I was. But if somebody in this house today will become acquainted with the God of the house, maybe you've been living in a desert for a while, maybe you feel alone, if you'll start building an altar of consecration unto the Lord, you get on board with what God is wanting to do in your life, in your home, and in your family. I'm going to tell you this is going to be the greatest journey that you have ever taken in your lifetime. Because God has a plan. We're going to stop seeing this just as Christian Life Church. But every time we walk in the doors, it's going to be God. <laughs> God's going to show up today. God is going to meet with us today. God is going to do some things today. I'm not worried about my title. I'm not worried about my position. I'm not worried about who gets the accolades. I'm not worried about who preaches the sermon. What I'm worried about is if God shows up in the house and I see the Lord high and lifted up and exalted. Come on, there's a God in the house today. He's reaching for you if you want to take that journey with us. Why don't you step from where you are? Why don't you walk to the front of this room today and declare, God, I don't know everything about the direction you're taking me, but I just want to draw closer to you. I want to walk out of here no longer just saying I've been to church, but saying I met with him. I met with God in the house. I met with God in the house. Come on, turn this house into a prayer room right now. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord today. He's in this room. He's here for you. He's calling you today. He's drawing you today. Come on, build the altar. Build the altar in Bethel right now. Build the altar in Bethel right now. Build the altar in Bethel. Stay at the altar till you meet him there. Build the altar.
on, let's reach out to him. Be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Maybe somebody next to you, you would want to join with right now and pray and strengthen and say, come on, we're going to build this altar together. We're going to take this journey together. You're not alone in this journey. You're not alone in this journey. That's it. He is for you. He is for you today. He wants to help you today. Feel his strength today. Feel his encouragement come today. He's for you. He's on your side. Everybody find somebody. Join up with somebody. Everybody connect with somebody right now. And just let them know. Just let them know. Come on, you're not going to do this by yourself. We're on this journey together. Find somebody. Everybody with somebody. Let them know. Come on, we're doing this together. This journey is together. fighting together, we're standing together, we're worshiping together, we're praying together.